Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, good morning, and you can have a seat. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm our teaching pastor here at Anderson College. And man, I just want to welcome you. If this is your first time, we are so glad you're here. If you're coming back uh, on, on, you've been here before, welcome back. Man, we have been walking through the life of a man named Joshua. And we've been looking at what can we learn from this dude thousands of years ago, who even though we are separated across all this time and all this space, that we actually are right in line with one another in terms of our circumstances in our context and what we're in, what's ahead of us. You see, Joshua was leading the nation of Israel in a time of incredible change. He was stepping onto new ground with all of these people who were looking to him for guidance and instruction and direction and leadership. And what happened is Joshua was able to step into that new ground and thrive and have success and find fulfillment and accomplish his goals. And when we see that incredible thriving, healthy existence, the the healthy kind of accomplishments that he had. What we see in his life is that it wasn't just because he kind of, you know, grit his teeth and made it happen, pulled up his own bootstrap, shined his belt buckle and whooped. I don't know, that got weird, but it wasn't necessarily his ability and his know-how. What happened was Joshua, as he stepped into that new place, he remembered that he was still standing on the promises of God and that he could trust the Lord to fight his battles something that we're going to wrap up the life of Joshua with next week. But this morning what we're going to see is that as Joshua stepped into that new place, it was not just even his, his willful remembrance of who God is and what God had done to find that success in that new ground. What happened was he kept himself committed to worshiping the Lord. Because as we step into new places, even as those new places become old, Every single day, we have new opportunities to choose to worship something. We all do it. Whether consciously or not, we all choose to worship. Sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it's very, very strange. The elegance, the incredible style. The chicken is an obsession for me. I'm Matteo. This is Moreno in Milano, in Italy. We are the photographer of the chicken. The chickens are uh, natural top models. Uh, It's impossible to work with them. They are birds. They realize the situation. You have uh, five, ten minutes max. There is many, many, many kind of models. Samantha, Gwendalina and uh, Barbara. Attila for the big one. Michael, the the personality change uh, for every breed. The worst start because I love chickens. The idea is they show us the beauty inside. The message of our photo, see beauty. Do you see the beauty of the chicken? I love it. Oh, man. So good. Change your background photos today. Uh, we will find ourselves worshiping. Sometimes it's a chicken. Uh, but sometimes it's something else. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's an experience. Sometimes it's a place. Sometimes it's a pursuit. But really, honestly, all of us find ourselves every single day choosing to worship something. And we need to be intentional about examining, man, what are we choosing to worship? 
right? Because we do it. I promise you, we do this. In every new experience, in every new moment, in every environment, we choose worship. And we don't use that terminology, right? This could sound a little strange because we don't, we don't necessarily speak like that. We don't say like, oh, hey, what have you, you, you been worshiping? You're like, free birds. Like, that's not, that's not the wording that we use, not the terminology we use. And so a pastor up in New York, a guy named Tim Keller, created this wonderful kind of framework for examining, I mean, where are you actually worshiping? What are you worshiping? He says, it's where you invest these things. Where are you investing your imagination, your income, your effort, and your emotion? So that's an indicator of where you are, of what you are worshiping. So it's where you find these things, where you're investing your imagination. A lot of us, maybe that's, maybe that's in romance, right? We, we imagine the romantic path that we could, we could walk down, right? You, you sit next to that girl in class, and you just, you just see her. You're like, hey. She's like, hi. And you're like, I wonder if she'd like my mom's dog. Like you just, you just kind of go down that path. Your friends are like, stop. But, but we can't help but go there. We invest our imagination. We invest our income. When I was in college, I spent probably the majority of my money on food. Because I was like, yes, I need it to live. And also, it's good. Like I need that brunch. Like that was my thing. I was like, I want to I brunch it up. And you go and you find Stella now. And you're like, oh my God. The Lord is good, and he has moved, and he's created Stella. You need to go, eat a biscuit, come back, tell me how it went. It's going to be good. Spoiler alert, it's good. All right, but we find ourselves investing our money in, in things, and that's, that's where we, you know, that's how we are. We, we will find ourselves investing effort into things. Maybe for you, it's, you know, your classwork. It could be your so- social media. We, we put a lot of effort into, like, finding that perfect pic, setting up that perfect story. You give your login information to multiple friends because you've like, you got to keep that snap streak alive, right? If I'm dead, I better keep snapping, right? And that's, that's the way it is. That's how we are now <laughs> until death do us snap. I don't know, but that's, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in the college environment where, honestly, you are imagining what your future career might be. You are investing money through loans or through your own earnings, through your parents. You're investing income, time, money, financial resources into this degree. You're putting effort into your classes. Most of us are putting effort into our classes. And we all have emotional connection to where we're headed, right? That hullabaloo, you're just like, oh, yes, right? That fight song comes on, and you're just weeping. Hullabaloo, <laughs> I just can't help it. Because you're so invested in this environment, in this pursuit. And it's a good pursuit, right? It is a good, worthwhile endeavor to, to be moving through a college environment, blend A&M, Rust, wherever. It is a good pursuit to get that degree, to set yourself up, pursue that career. Man, that is a good thing. But what's wrong, where problems are found, is when we take those not inherently wrong investments, It's when we take them to the extreme, to the point where all of us have found ourselves, where we are now investing in and worshiping these objects or these people, these pursuits and these lifestyles above the God who saved us. If you're a child of God, you are turning away from your father. I find myself time and again worshiping other rival gods, false idols, at the expense of, of robbing, they rob my attention and they rob my affection from my heavenly father. That's problematic. And that is ultimately not what's in our best interest. But it's where we find ourselves. It's the root, honestly, of essentially all sin. 
When Martin Luther, kind of his church father, theologian, pastor, he was writing about his kind of beliefs, his theology. He writes this larger, it's called the larger catechism. And what he did is he, he was talking about the law. He was talking about the commandments that God gave his people. And he says, you know, the very first commandment, God was very intentional. He says, you should not place other gods before me. Right? He says, you shouldn't have false idols. He says, I think God is being intentional in saying that and putting that first because Luther said, would say that we never break the other commandments without first breaking that one. We cannot break the later commandments if, if we're not already breaking the first commandment to not put other gods before the one true living God at the root of all of our sin is ultimately a heart that values something over the Lord. Where we take a gift that he's given us and we, we, we elevate it above the giver. We take something created and we elevate it above the creator. That's, that's the root of our sin, of, of our fault and our error. And that's why it's so incredible when we look at the life of Joshua, we see that he saw every day as a chance to commit himself to the right worship. He didn't want rival gods to show up and undermine his relationship with the God who redeems. Joshua saw himself every single day as someone who wanted to to, to worship in the right place, to worship the, the worthy, the one who's worthy of that worship. Because he knew not only is it best for the Lord and best for our world, but it's best for us as individuals. Because if we're putting our worship in the wrong place, it's just gonna leave us wanting. That other worship, the wrong worship will bleed us dry. Not every date is going to be awesome. If you eat too much brunch food, you will die so fast, right? So fast. Every job that you have, all that effort you put in, you can always work a little bit more. You can. You can always earn a little bit higher wage. You can always rise a little bit higher in social status. You can always look a little bit better. Ultimately, if we're putting all of our time and energy, our imaginations, our, our income, our effort, and our emotions into created finite things, what's going to happen is we're going to be bled dry. And yet if we worship in the right place, if we worship the God of the universe, what happens is it changes our world. We find ourselves full of joy and peace and satisfaction even as we're pouring ourselves out for our God. So how do we do that? The question I want us to ask this morning is, how do we choose the right worship? How do we commit ourselves to this path? And what we see in the life of Joshua is a commitment to four things. We see him committing himself and the nation of Israel to removing the the rival gods in their midst, to remembering the work that God had already performed, to recognizing their own inability to stay on that path in and of themselves, recognizing their own weakness, and then committing themselves to represent God's will to the people around them. That's what we see in the life of Israel, in the life of Joshua. And it all kind of comes to a head in Joshua 24. As Joshua's reaching the end of his life, he gathers the nation of Israel, and he's giving them kind of these parting thoughts. He says, I want you to obey the Lord 
and worship him with integrity and loyalty. I want you to put aside the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and worship the Lord. He had just given them a history lesson. He said, remember how God took your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he brought them across these lands and through all that time, there's all this strife and all this turmoil and there are other nations and other false gods and God delivered the one true Yahweh, the one true God, he delivered your ancestors through all of it. He divided the Red Sea. He led them across the desert. He, he cut the Jordan. He, he moved us into this new promised land. He says, man, remember what God's already done. And as you do that, you need to be intentional to put aside these false gods that are going to pop up. He says, if you, if you don't want to worship the Lord, then honestly, you're going to need to choose today whom you're going to worship. Choose now. Who will you worship? Is it going to be the gods whom your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates? Or is it going to be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you're living? He says, you have a lot of other options. You can choose to worship those false gods from the lands, you know, far behind. You can choose to worship these false gods that are in your midst right now. He says, but for me, for my family, I choose to worship the Lord. It's a choice. It's an intentionality that we need to have in our mindsets to not just ignore those other options, but Joshua is saying you need to remove it. You need to put them away. You need to cut them out of your midst. And this can be really difficult for us to cut out these rival gods because sometimes it's just hard because they've got a hold on us. Other times it's, it's hard because we don't even know they're there. They can be obvious at times, but they can also be incredibly subtle whether it's an experience that we're seeking, a a person that we're attached to, or a pursuit that we want to run down. Many times there's obvious experiences that we say, man, yeah, this isn't isn't what best. This is a rival God. I don't have a lot of um, appointments in my office with students who come and sit down and tell me, man, I'm just wrestling. I'm really just praying through whether or not I should really like walk down this road of black tar heroin. I'm just... I don't know. Like I'm divide, like God, I'm listening to the Lord and I just don't hear him speak. Like I don't hear that a lot. Why? Because that is clearly a wrong experience to pursue. That is illegal, right? So if there is something in your life and it is illegal, there you go. That's a good sign. Yeah, cut that out, right? And that's, I mean, it sounds so obvious and at times it is, at other times we're like, man, but, but I don't know, my friendships are built around me drinking even though I'm 19. Man, it's hard. Like, I, I, I want to hang out with my roommates, and, and we just, we get high together, and I don't know what else we're going to do. Like, well, I, I move down these paths. I have these things. I'm, I'm, addicted, I'm addicted to this substance, and, and man, it can be hard, but, but what we see in the life of Joshua, the commandment to the people, he says, look, if you really want to worship the Lord, you've got to remove that God. You've got to remove that rival. You've got to cut it out. If it's illegal, you've got to cut out these things that are obviously sinful, Maybe it's like, no, I, I want to feed this anger or this pride or this jealousy, this bitterness that's taken root in my heart. It can feel good in moments, in these fleeting moments, to feed those negative mindsets and emotions, those sinful thoughts and actions. But it's going to bleed you dry. It's going to leave you empty. And Joshua says, you've got to cut that out. You've got to remove that rival God. Some of us, it's, man, I, I want to I have this sexual experience. And, and God has created sex, our sexuality, to be this wonderful, de- delightful aspect of a marriage covenant. 
He's designed sex to, to bring so much life and joy and fulfillment and delight in a marriage, but I'm telling you, it brings destruction in every other context. And that is an obvious rival God. The vast majority of us are not married, and so there is an obvious rival God in our lives. If that's what we're running down, if that's where we're putting imagination or money or effort or emotion. Joshua says, you've got to cut these things out. It's going to be really obvious at some times. It's going to be really subtle in others. I think for us right now, kind of the stage that we're at culturally is, is honestly, I think the most subtle rival God in your life right now is, is the dis- ability to be distracted. It's distractions. If you look at your day-to-day, if you really charted out your hours, what's incredible is that we, and I, I'm with you in this, we are so prone to just kind of giving away our time to things that matter little to nothing. And we, if we really stopped and thought about it, we'd be like, yeah, I, that's not really that great. It's not really that important. It's not really worth that level of investment. And yet we find ourselves doing it in just these little incremental amounts. We have now reached a point in our, in our world, in our world that is partially ruled by Netflix, where we are giving, no joke, 140 million hours a day to watching Netflix. Okay, so 140 million hours of Netflix are streamed every day. What that works out to be is 5.8 million years of content streamed every normal year on this earth. 5.8 million years of content are streamed every year in our world. Hopefully not by like any individual person. Like that doesn't, that wouldn't even make sense. Unless they have like 20 screens going at once. But you, I'm just like, that is just one of those things. I'm like, what's going on? And we have given so much of our time. We're, we're so distracted by these, these other, these kind of little things that, that you are now on average spending about eight to 10 hours a day looking at your phone. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the national average for college students right here, right now. By 8 to 10 hours a day, you're looking at your phone, your screen. And sometimes that's good, right? Our phones can be so useful for connecting with people, for our work. We did a survey at the beginning of the service. Right? I was like, look at your phone. Tell me about you. Like, that's, I, oh, man, I love those surveys. And, man, it, it can be a really powerful tool. But we find ourselves looking at it for 8 to 10 hours a day. You will find yourself checking your phone on average 80 times a day. That's the current metric or the current statistic for you. About 80 times a day. You're like, huh? Well, man, oh, 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 oh. 80 times. On average, you, you don't go more than 15 minutes without looking at your phone. If you make it through this entire service without looking at your phone, you're a, you're a monster. Like, you don't exist. You're like a, you're the, I don't know, a mothman. I don't know. You're just some mysterious figure that simply doesn't exist. And yet we find ourselves time and time again being distracted. And, and it, what it does is it's, it's not inherently wrong to use these things to, to, to unwind with a show or, or, or check a feed. Man, there's nothing wrong inherently with that. But what's, the problem is ari- that arises is that we will sometimes elevate that above our, our God. And it will rob our Lord, our Savior, of our attention and our affection. And it becomes a rival God. It's a good thing. It's a horrible God. To chase that experience. Maybe it's to chase a person. Sometimes it's really obvious. If you have a, if you have a relationship, uh, dating or friendship, where they, you, just, you become codependent, right? If it's to the exclusivity of all of the relationships, that is obviously wrong. I, I'm a father, 
of two children and one cooking, and I need to spend time with my kids, right? How can I not? How can I not? Like, I need to spend time with my children. I need to fix my son's face, apparently, according to my daughter. But problems will arise if I am spending time with them to the exclusion of all other people, of all other important relationships. If I get home and I'm looking for my kids, my wife greets me. She says, hey, how are you doing? And I'm just like, hush, non-baby. Right? Like if I just like, if I, if I just push her away so I can find my children, that is wrong. Like if you saw it, you'd be like, that's probably not good. Like that's not how that should work. There are some of us that find ourselves in these codependent relationships where if that one friend disappeared, if that one person you're dating disappears, if they're gone, what do you do? And you don't know. Because they've become your all in all. And that needs to end. That is unhealthy. Healthy relationships, healthy communities always invite. It's phrasing that we use here at Grace all the time in our leadership, in our staff, to say, man, we want to have environments, we want to have communities that are always inviting. Because a healthy community is inclusive. A healthy community is always inviting more people to join. Why? Because we don't value those people over God. Because we see that our God is the God of the world. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for the world. That Jesus Christ died, not just for me and my two friends, but for everyone I meet on campus, for everyone I see at HEB, for every other relationship in my life. And so if I see other people, I'm going to be inviting them into this community. I'm going to be inviting them to join me in worship, in Bible study, at breakaway, at whatever, the hangout. Man, we need to be a people who see people as God sees them. Worthy of the death of Christ. Desperately in need of that Savior. So we don't elevate an individual, an individual person above God. It's, it's easy, right? It can be obvious, it can be subtle. We also don't elevate pursuits. And I think this is where a lot of times we find ourselves, is elevating a particular goal or pursuit above the Lord. If I was going to tell you right now, I'm just going to speak a truth to you, and we're going to reflect on it for just a second, okay? So it's going to feel a little weird, but it's going to be okay. I promise. I'm still here. Hold the, your neighbor's hand if you need to. Even if you don't know them, that'd be awesome. Always inviting. And you can tell them. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share with you a truth, and we're just going to let our minds go, okay? God is with you this week. Ten more minutes. No, I'm just kidding. God is with you this week. Now, we're not going to raise our hands, but, but really be honest with yourself. In light of that truth, did your mind go to the attributes, the faithfulness of God? Or did your mind go to what you had planned? They're like, oh, yeah, he's going to be with me in my class. And, oh, wait, I need to email that guy. And, oh, stinking Steve didn't show up to group study last night or whatever. Did your mind go to your plans and your goals and your aspirations and your calendar? Or did your mind go to, wow, the Lord is good. He's faithful. So many times we find ourselves occupied with good things. 
Right? God's put you in this place to be a student, to be a coworker, to, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be a boyfriend, be a girlfriend, be a whatever. Like you, you have these good God-given pursuits, these good goals, but we twist them into gods. We turn our pursuits into idols. We turn our goals into gods. And what happens is it, it, it flips our life and it simply doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you, so many times we do this because accomplishments can be so addictive. And so we find ourselves in this rut. I find myself in this rut. Over the last year, I, I've been struggling just personally, just being honest with, with my family and spending time with them in, in the proper way where I will find myself going home. And, and, and even though I'm physically home, I'm mentally still at work. And what happens is that it's not just in my mind, it plays out in my actions where my children are trying to talk to me or, or tell me something or play with me and, and I'm distracted or I get easily frustrated because I'm thinking about this other thing or I, I'm pulling out my phone and I'm responding to that email or I'm sending that text, a reminder to, hey, let's have a, a couple more chairs on Sunday or whatever. And it's so easy for me to do that a, a lot of times because I work at a church, right? Like I work for God. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is, my end all, like, end all be all. Like, this has got to be. This, this trumps other things. And it's taken the work of the Lord and it's taken the graciousness of my wife and in hard, intentional conversations between the two of us to work through. Man, this isn't good. I'm in error. I'm wrong. I'm creating rival gods above legitimately res- relationships and responsibilities that I have at home. And it's destructive. And, and I find myself in it so many times because, man, again, it's just, there's something good about checking that box. There's something good about, about finishing that thing, sending that email, setting up that structure, having that system, getting that pat on the back, getting that little hand clap. There's something about that that just, oh, it, it drives us. And, and I see, you know, what I've had to realize, what I've had to come to is realizing that, you man, there are so many people that can stand on this stage. There are so many people that could be a college pastor at Grace Bible Church. So many people tomorrow could step into this role, not miss a step, be great, do better things than I ever could do. But I'm the only dad my children are ever going to have. Even if I die and my wife remarries, I'm the only biological father they will ever have. So how could I ever squander that gift? How could I ever possibly elevate an email above that relationship? And yet we find ourselves in these moments with the undivided attention and affections of the God of the universe. And we just kind of brush it aside because we need to study, or, or we need to send that thing, or check off that box, or run down that career, apply for that internship. And again, those are good pursuits, but they should never take preeminence over the Lord our God, ever. Because what happens is if we're really putting our imagination and our income and our effort and our energy into these other things, what's going to happen is it just leaves us wasted and empty. 
Whereas if we are really worshiping the God of the universe, if he comes first above all else, what's going to happen is that worship can change the world around us. What happens is he can give us the joy and satisfaction and fulfillment that we desperately crave. It's a win-win. Because our worship is in the right place. And we're finding the greatness that he offers, the, the true life that he offers. And so to help us in that, I mean, Joshua, he, he points the, the people of Israel not just towards the, the negative of like, hey, cut those things out, remove that stuff. He also points them in a positive direction. He says, I want you to be people who remember what God's done. And so the people responded when he tells them, hey, I, I'm going to worship the Lord. I want you to worship the Lord. They say, yeah, hey, look, far be it from us to abandon the Lord so we can worship other gods. So like, yeah, for sure. We don't want to do those things. We're not going to worship those gods. That's crazy. Why? Because the Lord our God took us and our fathers out of slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed these awesome miracles before our very eyes. And he continually protected us as we traveled and when we passed through other nations. They say, man, we've seen what God has done. We remember the work of the Lord. And so that's going to motivate our worship. We're going to commit ourselves to remember God's work. That's something we talked about a lot last week but how vital it is that that we remember what God has done because it builds our anticipation for what God has yet to do. So we want to be people who celebrate, who remember, who commemorate, who intentionally take note of these moments. Last week, we saw the nation of Israel set up these big old rocks in a river. They're like, yep, God. Like they just, that's what they did. And some of us needed to set up those stones. I hope some of us already have taken those steps where where we wrote things out. We said, yeah, I mean, I remember when God did this and that. I, I set a reminder maybe on my phone. That, that just reminds me of, yeah, you know, the, this story, this experience. Maybe we remember by telling other people our story. And as we speak it aloud, it, re- it hits us anew. And, and I'll tell you, if we've called on the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we've trusted in who he is and what he's done, every single one of us that have, that have taken that step, who have believed that truth, who have been adopted in the family of God, we can at least remember the gospel. We should all be turning back and seeing that God, he saved us. In the midst of our transgressions, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still children of wrath, God sent Jesus Christ to step out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve because of our mistakes. And then when he rose again three days later, he says, those things don't own you. Those things don't control you. That's not an identity that you have to live under. He says, you can have new life. You can have new purpose. You can have new identity. And when we as believers remember that, man, that should just ignite our passions and our desires to know the Lord and to tell other people about him. Maybe some of us need a reminder, 9 a.m. every day, Jesus died for me. Because when we remember that truth, when we're intentional to go there in our thoughts, what happens is it prepares us to move forward with a greater confidence in what has yet to be. Maybe we need a reminder. Maybe we need uh, 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 to write something down. Maybe we need to tell the story. For me, I, I need to like say, I, I like boiling things down into weird phrases, and it helps me. I legitimately, uh, I had an experience this past summer at an impact camp, whoop, and we, there's this moment, the story that I'll probably tell in greater detail at some point, but my takeaway from an experience at impact this summer was that God is bigger than crickets. That was my takeaway. And some of us were there and we're like, so true, so true. Others of us are like, I, I mean, technically, I guess. Like that's, I guess that sounds right. 
But I'll tell you, it's something that I wanted, my wife and I were talking about, and we we're like, man, we're gonna, I want to hold on to this statement. I want to say it until my kids think it's so weird, and they get married, and they're like, hey, what's a weird thing that happened in your life? And they're like, my dad talked about crickets a lot. Like, I want that <laughs> to be a part of my story. Because what it does is it reminds me of a truth, that God is faithful, that his spirit is irresistible, that he has a power and a plan that I simply cannot fathom. And it helps me remember that when I say a strange thing like God is bigger than crickets. I don't know what it is for you, but we need to be people who remember. We need to be people who who see what God has done as we anticipate what he's going to do. And we need to be people who recognize ultimately that we're going to still fail to worship him as we should. Because even when the people tell Joshua, yeah, we're going to worship God, God, Joshua's like, nah, no, you won't. Uh Uh-uh, you will not. I love it. He's just like, he's getting after it. He's like over 100 at this point, so I'd like to think he's just no holds back. You know, he's just going for it. It's like your grandpa that's like, I hate the mail system. I don't know. But he says, you will not keep worshiping the Lord, for he is a holy God, and he's a jealous God who will not forgive your rebellion or your sins. He says, in and of yourself, you do not have the ability to continue worshiping God as you should. And you do not have the worthiness for God to forgive you of those mistakes. It says, left to your own devices, you're going to fail, and there's nothing about you that demands God's forgiveness. So that's just the way it is. And so, in light of that harsh truth, Joshua drew up an agreement for the people. And he established rules and regulations for them in Shechem. He brings them back to this covenantal law that God had given his people that said, hey, you are broken. You need help. I'm going to give you some boundaries and some direction that will help you find true satisfaction, true life, true fulfillment in this world. And they were never saved by this law. That's what we find in scriptures where Paul writes about in Galatians. He talks about it in Romans. He says, no one was ever saved by the law. He says, they've always been saved by grace through faith in the God who saves. It's not faith in the law itself. It's faith in the God who wrote it. But that law created, provided healthy direction for where to go, for how to live. And what happened is through that structure, they were able to find satisfaction. Because ultimately, that's why God gives us boundaries and rules and, and directions. It's not because he loves seeing us jump through hoops. He thinks it's hilarious to see us get frustrated and make mistakes. It's because he knows how this world works. He created all things. And so he says, if you really want to find true satisfaction, walk in this way. He's created the structures for our success. Todavía. Saluda, párate, párate, párate. Dale. The structure was in place to guarantee success, right? That's why God has given us direction in this world. He says, I want you to follow these steps to put your foot right here because that's what's going to bust that balsa wood into smithereens. 
Use your butt, I guess. Like, that's fine. <laughs> God has created structures for us because that's what leads to our satisfaction and to our success. That's why God says, I want you to learn my word. I want you to study my word, to hear from me, to read my truth. Because as you write that on your forehead, as you imprint that on your heart, that's how God will then speak to us later. He reminds us, he speaks to us so many times by reminding us of truth we've already seen or heard. So he says, immerse yourself in that truth. Find yourself a community of people, accountability with people who can turn on all the lights and ask any question. He says, that's what you need. You need that structure of loving community who's going to call you out and then call you forward and pick you up when you've fallen. Not because God wants us to have these like awkward conversations of like, do you want to like talk to me about real things? I don't know. Like that's not what he wants. He wants us to find success and satisfaction in him for our worship to be in the right place. And so he's created opportunity and direction towards that end. And when we're committed to worshiping the Lord, what happens is we can be people who represent him to the world around us. That's what we see in the life of Joshua. After all this stuff, when Joshua, the son of Nun, the Lord's servant, died, Israel worshiped the Lord throughout his lifetime as long as the elderly men who outlived him remained alive. Why? Because all of these men had experienced firsthand everything the Lord had done for Israel. He says, or what we see is that, man, it was through the life of Joshua. It wasn't just how he lived. It was the legacy he left. That's what's so incredible about Joshua is that through his life, through his worship, other people were changed. And we're the same way. If we are investing our imagination and our income and our effort and our energy into knowing the Lord and making him known, what happens is our worship becomes a witness. What happens is that our entire lives become an opportunity to represent who God is and what he's done. Our worship can change our world because other people will see in us all of our affections placed at the feet, at the throne of God. And when our affections are so powerfully displayed, what happens is our affections create a direction for other people's attention. And suddenly they see God in a new light. They see him in a new way. They, 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 they want to ask questions. They want to hear about, man, who is this God that you keep talking about? Suddenly if we're finding our our, our experiences. We're chasing experiencing knowing the Lord and making him known. As we immerse ourselves in community or, or, or studying his word, as we share with people our experiences of, of hearing from the Lord and, and being taught by him and growing with him, people are going to, they're going to see that affection. They're going to want to ask us more about this God who saved us. If we are chasing not, not just a person to like save us, this kind of end all be all, uh, dating relationship or friendship, if we're chasing after people for the sake of bringing them to the Lord and inviting them into Christ-focused community, of, of inviting them into a relationship where we can share our faith and our story, our testimony with them, man, what that's going to do is it's going to point them ultimately to God. That's why even this morning, we have opportunity for us to, to do just this. There are these cards. Okay, we're all going to turn for a second. We're going to look. Back wall, that way. It's lit up by a light. It's on a little, like, geometrically world, beautiful mural that a guy named Nathan made. Uh, 
you see there's these little cards that are on the wall. Every single one of those cards, is a rep, it represents an international student that, that moved here, that came to a, a, a new culture, right, a new place, a new ground, and they're probably uh, uh, master's or doctoral students. Some of them are undergrads. But what happens is all these internationals, is they will come to this room the like Saturday before school starts because we have a thing called the big giveaway where our congregation comes together and we, we, people donate beds and, and, and desks and lamps and rice cookers and just like all furniture, furniture and home goods. And, and we compile it all. And we had hundreds, like about 400 international students come and, and they get to take home a, a furnishings for their apartment. But they, they're given the apartment, but they, they're given nothing inside of it. And so they're sleeping on the floor. <laughs> they don't have a desk. They don't have a chair. And so what we do is we provide for them in that kind of daily life. And then we ask them, hey, would you want to have a meal in an American home? Would you want to just get to know someone locally? And 80% of them were like, absolutely, that sounds awesome. I'd love that. And so we get their names and their information on cards like those. And we've been using them across the street in our family service, encouraging people, hey, take a card, invite them over, make a friend, share a meal. And I want us to do the same. I stole those from across the street. Don't tell them. But I took them because I was like, man, this is something that we can be a part of. This is something that we can do to to show people the love of Christ. Just through a meal. So man, commit with your roommates. There's a few left. They're going to go quick, I promise. But at the end of the service, just go and grab it. And we can't track it. We don't know like, who's taking what. And, and so I would just ask, like, please legitimately be committed to following up, contacting that student. Because if you take the card and you never contact them, we'll never know. But man, come together with your roommates, with your friends, with your small group and say, yeah, let's, let's show the love of Christ in this way. Let's pursue these people And as we pursue them, they'll see our affections given to the Lord when they ask why we've even done this. Why do we have these events? Why do we have this meal? And that affection directs their attention to the God who wants to redeem them, who wants to save them. That's why it's so valuable to have pursuits that are honoring to the Lord, where we're giving and and serving and pouring ourselves out. If you're not serving somewhere, man, I would encourage you to find a place on campus, off campus, where you're, you're giving freely of your time and your resources for the sake of the Lord. If you want that to be here, we still have opportunity. You can sign up to just serve with us. Even if it's just one or two Sundays a month, you can serve just right here in this room to help us create an environment that is always inviting, that's pointed to the Lord, that helps people experience the love of Christ in a new and refreshing way. So go to this, fill out a quick thing. Join us. Because we want to have lives that are dedicated to worshiping the one who deserves our worship. So let's ask God to move us in that direction. God, we thank you that you've given us just a chance to be a people who aren't just self-focused and self-centered, but God, you've given us an opportunity to to look out and and to give. And that in doing so, God, even though it, it defies reason and logic, As we pour ourselves out, God, you've promised to fill us up with a greater love, a greater peace, a greater satisfaction, a greater fulfillment. 
So God, help us be people who worship you in the right way. Who, who remove these rival gods. God, who remember what you've done. Who, who recognize our, our, our tendency to still fail. But then represent you. Represent your love, your grace, your mercy that is new every day. So if you would take just these next couple moments and ask the Lord to grab a hold of your thoughts and and to really convict you of where is it that you are allowing another thing or another person, another pursuit to rob the Lord of the affection and attention that's rightfully his. Ask him to really show you where are you elevating something over him. And then ask him to, to give you the motivation to to take steps to, to, to cut that out, <laughs> to, to maybe minimize that pursuit, to, to temper it through a, a decision or, or a, a conversation with someone who's going to hold you accountable. But ask the Lord to really show you, God, where is it that I'm, I'm giving away what's rightfully yours? God, help bring me back, bring my heart back into the rightful worship. God, help me really build my life on your love, on, on your truth, on who you are. God, let me be someone who worships in the right way and in, in doing so, changes the world around me. Ask him that right now.